Filmmaker Commentary, episode 66. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. Today we are covering Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, directed by Frank Oz. Um, it was nominated for two Academy Awards, one for visual effects, another one for best song. Had a budget of, in, in this book, Roger Corman, it's called Roger Corman's Book of an Unauthorized Life by Beverly Gray. They had a budget of $33 million. What did you find for the budget? On, on uh, IMDb Pro, I found a budget of $25 million. $25 um, and then we have a box office of $38.9 million. Mm-hmm. The more I'm starting to look into a box office, and not necessarily box office, but budgets for sure, I am starting to be a little bit... Skeptical? Very skeptical. And this is why. I was on YouTube looking, I don't know, a Terminator 2 like old promo video that was on a VHS like popped up. It was a commercial. And I looked at the budget for Terminator 2. It said like 200 and something million or something like that. I was like, all right. Or, no, no, no. Was it the budget or what they were claiming they made at the box office? Both budget and box office. So, at the box office, I think they said it was about $500 million And the budget was like 200 or something like that. Y'all can check and double check it because it changes depending on what source you look at. But, um, on this VHS, on the, uh, the promo commercial, because it was uh, Terminator 2 was going over to um, 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 Home Entertainment. Okay. And said, Terminator 2 made one billion at the box office would it be a billion but what's reported is like 500 million or whatever and i'm like whoa wait what's going on here <laughs> what's 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 going on they're here? saying it made a billion dollars a billion not that oh, hmm. that's interesting well also uh, during that time they knew that people didn't have access unless you were in the system you had no way to check and verify those a, numbers a billion dollars though. that's a big fudge so to double, yeah, and this was a this was um who's the cop the guy that played the the alien with the the liquid the I liquid cop I can't remember I can't his remember name. the actor's name either. Uh, but he was like kind of hosting Robert? the commercial. Yeah. He was hosting the commercial. He said made over a billion dollars at the box office, and um, they were talking about the campaign like the like go to Blockbuster, go all these places because we're putting ten million dollars behind the marketing campaign for the home entertainment stuff. And I'm just like, whoa. Which made me think, though, because remember on our last episode, we were talking about, um, I think we briefly kind of talked about St- Sylvester Stallone and how um, with Demolition Man, he was supposed to get 15% of the profit. And what he ended up doing is he had to sue because he wasn't getting like that money and all that. And he ended up settling out of court for that amount because they weren't reporting it correctly. Right. Probably showing that they had made had less. Yeah, exactly. And so... When you see that, and that doesn't really become public, and they kind of settle behind the scenes, it kind of raised my flag a little bit. I was like, man, these blockbusters were making a lot more than maybe we know, or that they're reporting to the public so they don't get sued. Because, I mean, what other business that isn't publicly traded is just going to tell you, like, hey, we made, this is how much we're making. Nobody does that. Yeah, yeah, you got a point. It, even And even when, you know, when we watch like, you know, someone like Dove S.S. Simmons, he specifically talks about mm-hmm. the budget's being inflated 
yeah that they share saying you know that they're, they're gonna say it costs x amount more just to kind of give it a little more prestige yeah. but that you know maybe it's maybe it's what like man, i don't mean like a 30 percent or whatever increase um to maybe what it actually would have cost and of course you know when we see these budgets i don't know they include like the the pna right um either so mm-hmm. might just be production budget mm-hmm. so that's um yeah, so I've been kind of looking at these budgets and box office a little different, especially when um, when you go back to looking at films from like an earlier time, the '80s and the '90s, especially some of these blockbusters. Um, now that now that we're in the future, it's like okay, the reporting's a little different now. Interesting. We didn't make no money because like I'm pretty sure they made just another billion just on home entertainment because these companies just like I mean we're Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, transactional like. What are those numbers like? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, that was a tangent, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are going to dive into Little Shop of Horrors a little bit further, but first, let's talk about news and movies watched. Uh, so in the news, the, the new version of The Lion King by Disney and directed by Jon Favreau uh, with its um, beautiful... Um, Jungle Book-esque um, rehaul and, and makeover and, and, and uh, visual effects is getting mixed uh, mixed reviews. It's kind of sitting borderline on, on being fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that, that plays out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of a, a shock. What specifically? Is it like story? Is it the singing? Is it... Are they, they saying specifically what is messing it up? Some, some say that uh, while it's visually stunning... Mm-hmm. What I've heard a lot of is that the the animals' faces don't emote as much as the the original animation, which makes sense because they're going for realism. Um, And even though these animals will speak and feel different emotions, it's going to be different. So one person, um, I believe it was uh, Christian Holoff on uh, Collider Live, uh, they were kind of doing an overview of it, and they had like about maybe four people in the space, and and they're saying you kind of will fall in one or two camps, either when you see it. It's going to kind of make you remember the original film. Right. And you may not like it as much because because your nostalgia for that first film is so strong. Right. Uh, you just won't connect the same way. You'll, you'll say, oh, this is this is cool. You know, it's different, but it's just it's not my Lion King kind of thing. Yes. Or you'll see it and it'll give you those nostalgic feels. And you also will maybe like fall in love with it with the new look of it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so people kind of are falling like in in two camps. Um, but from what I hear, story wise, it's pretty much beat by beat. There's very few changes. Okay. Um, I, I hear that Pumbaa and Timon, though the actors playing those roles. I know one is is uh, Seth uh, Rogen, and I forget the other guy's name, but he's in a lot of stuff. He's usually yelling at people. But I hear that those two <laughs> kind of kind of uh, steal the show. And there's a couple of new songs. Beyonce has a, a new song mm-hmm. from the, that that she released. It sounds pretty good. She's doing some different things with with her voice in that one that I hadn't really heard her do too often okay so so yeah i still want to check it out how about you yeah yeah and i'm not a huge like the first lion king i'm like oh man okay it's fine yeah but uh i really do want to see this i I don't know i think i'd uh just for like the visual like how how they were Mm -hmm. able to pull off how realistically how realistic do these uh, animals look i'm interested in that that part of it but um i think my wife she's probably really gonna she's like looking forward to it you know nice yeah so Cool. Um, we have uh, John Wick's Derek Colstad. We talked about Derek earlier. 
Um, he's <laughs> how you treating the brothers? Yeah, you treat, we shall see. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> he's writing Falcon and Winter Soldier for Marvel Studios and Disney Plus. It, okay. uh, of course, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. What it was announced last year, and mm-hmm. it's part of the developing set of limited Marvel series for Disney's new streaming service, Disney Plus. Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan are reprising their roles for the films, and we already knew that Empire TV producer Malcolm Spellman was setting up the writing room. So uh, this is from Owen William from Empire Magazine. Lovely. Congratulations, Derek. What about movies watch, man? Did you watch anything in this past week? So this past week, uh, mainly it was more so shows. Um, okay. So been staying on Euphoria on HBO again. If you have HBO, if you're not on that, how many uh, episodes is it? Yeah, there should be about five. Oh, really? What's it like five? Between okay. four to five episodes in. Okay. But I, I literally the episode that I, I saw, I, I haven't seen this week's, but uh, where I was at last week, I thought it was like done. I thought, okay, maybe this is just a short series. Right. It's the way that it ended. I was like, oh, this could be like the end. But then I saw a preview for the next week. I was like, oh, there's more. Okay, all right, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, Jessica Jones season three. I don't think I had wrapped that up last time. Okay, uh, we talked. So I did wrap it up this week. Very fitting ending. I was I was very pleased with the ending okay. of Jessica Jones season three. Season one is cool. Uh, season one is good. No, season one is is really good. Season two is okay. Season three, man, great ending to the arcs. Um, saw Aziz Aziz Ansari's new Netflix comedy special called mm-hmm. Right Now. Yeah, dug it, man. Really, really dug it. He's hitting some hot topics of the day, but in a in in a very uh, a very poised, a very personal way, and I was, uh, I was, I was really impressed with how Aziz okay. handled things, and for him to come back from the, the year that he had and yeah, man. address That's some kinda, serious topics. That was a topics. brutal year, man, for a lot of people. Yeah, but he he addressed it just w- wonderfully, and then also uh, I guess been on Netflix a lot because also uh, Stranger Things season three. I'm with you, bro. Yeah, I'm like two. I think I'm, I'm two episodes in on that okay. as far as I, I've, I've gotten. But so far, I'm digging. I, I wasn't sure. I, I, I was thinking maybe I was kind of over. I wasn't really excited about this season. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's like I, I love the first season. Again, second season was, was okay uh, for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wasn't really super excited. But, man, like two episodes in, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I'm in. digging what they're doing. And watching these kids Grow older. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow. That's crazy. And they're writing towards them getting older. So, as far as me, that's that's the only thing I watched was Stranger Things. That's all I had time for this week. Um, I think we're on chapter four right now. But okay. I felt the same way. Like uh, when I saw the teaser trailer, I forgot. Whenever the first teaser trailer hit, I was like, "Ooh, I can't wait!" Mm. Because something about like the Stranger Things, they really nailed it. The first two seasons, um, in my opinion, the way they shoot it is super cinematic. You know, it's about an hour per episode or something like that. So it doesn't feel like uh, like TV. You mm. know, like sometimes it seems like with certain TV shows, they're just trying to get they're just trying to make their day. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, we're just going to shoot with four or five cameras. Let's just grab some stuff. Uh, it seems like they definitely have a vision um, for for each season. Uh, but um, I wasn't I was excited at first, but then so much time had passed. I kind of just like forgotten about it. You know, you binge it for a week and then you're like, dang, I got to wait a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> Started playing this one. And I was like same way. Like, oh, man, they didn't lose us a step. Sometimes some of these seasons, they fall off and you like the writing is off a little bit or something is missing. But it, it seems like they were able to kind of capture that magic again. And they just picked right back up. Agreed. Abs- absolutely 
Agreed, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of this season. Well, let's jump back into the show. Welcome back to Filmmaker Commentary. We're talking about Little Shop of Horrors, 1986, directed by Frank Oz. And if this is your first time listening to Filmmaker Commentary, please know that there will be spoilers. spoilers. You've been forewarned. Yes, indeed. And uh, let's jump into the synopsis. Meek flower shop assistant, Seymour, pines for co-worker Audrey. During a total eclipse, he discovers an unusual plant he names Audrey too which feeds only on human flesh and blood. The growing plant attracts a great deal of business for the previously struggling store. After Seymour feeds Audrey's boyfriend, Orin, to the plant after Orin's accidental death, he must come up with more bodies for the increasingly bloodthirsty plant. Little Shop of Horrors. Did you like it? <laughs> how did you, how will you present it this film? Well, Reginald, I'm glad you asked. Yes. So as a young Casey, <laughs> growing up in the the the, the north, yes, uh, we first saw this again. It was on, on HBO. From the first time I saw it, I I I, I, I dug this film, loved this film mm-hmm. actually. Uh, it, it it was a weird dynamic because sometimes I would have uh, time where I had nightmares, you know, of yeah. of, of Audrey too. Mm-hmm. These visual effects still hold up very much. Uh, so. Yeah, like I I I, I can only imagine, you know. A kid watching this today, it would it would freak them out. Yeah, it would freak them out. Uh, it's so yeah, it was where practical effects just yeah hold up. But yeah, saw it as a kid. The the and I was you know into into monsters and stuff like that when I was mm-hmm. young. But the music, the the setting, you know, because it's an older older film, the theatrics, the the humor, and, it, and the pace. This movie yeah. just moves. When you start, it just it just goes. True. And you're you're on for the ride. I own this own this film happily, mm. and uh, yeah, I was happy to revisit. I'm glad we're talking about it today. Yes, indeed. How about you, man? How were you introduced to Little Shop of Horror? Man, when I was this came in '86, so like when I was in daycare, <laughs> oh, <laughs> they would always play musicals. Mm. So like, but I didn't know that, that there was a genre of musicals or anything like that. It was just like they would play stuff like I have it written down. Sound uh, of Music, uh, Grease. Let me see. Where's my list? Grease, Mary Poppins, Annie, Popeye, Pippi Longstocking, Willy Wonka, Chocolate Factory, Pete's Dragon, and Charlotte's Web. That's like the stuff I remember, like from daycare. So I was okay. like indoctrinated to the like a lot of Disney stuff and things like that. So I don't know if like some older kids were watching. Uh, this film, or you know, it was like because this is offbeat. This isn't to be played like like you see the stuff no. that I was listening to. That's why you said daycare. I was like, wait, what? I, I don't know. <laughs> About like you were kid. going there to say you saw it in daycare. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I remember it at daycare, but I I, rem, I do remember watching the whole movie at home. Mm. <laughs> Somebody had it on VHS or something like that. But at the time, I did like it. But I do remember like kind of being scared. You know what I mean? Because of the I thought it was just going to be another kind of like grease. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. I don't wait. What? Yeah, I mean, man. Even like with Grease, like there's like some some borderline rapish activity. Going Yo, on. Grease. It's like Grease wait. is not for kids. No, you go back to it, like what is going on? It here? is a sexually charged peer pressure. Yeah, no, gre- gangs. No, Grease is not for kids. Yeah, but it's mm. all like popcorn that you, it's easily you can look over very easily. What was I saying? 
when you first saw it. Yeah, so I thought it was just going to be a you know a typical musical or whatever. Even though it's hit Little Shop of Horrors, but uh, I was still able you know to watch the whole thing. But when that thing started coming to life and you had to go eat people and all this stuff, I'm like, man, this is it's kind of creepy, you know? Yeah, the creep and like the creepy one was like the song when he's about to he's like trying to convince the uh, supper time. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to convince him to or or a, fee- a feed me. Was that feed me? Is it the upbeat one or, or the no? Or the, it was supper the, time. Supper it was supper time. time. Yeah. yeah, supper time was. Yeah, I was like, this is creepy. They're like, so like little like it's song. seductive. Yeah, you know, it's bad. Yeah, and but man, yeah, when we get into the look of it, yeah, I definitely okay. want to bring that one back up. This is our first music that we're covering. Um, so as far as me, like I, I enjoyed it as a kid, you know, watching it. Now that I'm an adult, I don't watch musicals as much. Mm-hmm. You know, like it'll just have to be suggested and then on top of that they're not making that many musicals <laughs> in general they're just not True. and so i kind of i appreciated the like the cinematography this time around but i was watching it with the wife and she was just like no <laughs> so i'm trying to watch i'm like man this is actually this is done pretty well like i'm analyzing it i'm yes. like i may not be like into musical and stuff like that but sure. forget that like this has been this was executed very well because as soon as that scene opens up and the way that he's cutting, I'm like, ooh, this like the transitions before. in this. I've never really appreciated them as much as I have. I'm like, these transitions are brilliant, man. Yeah, it just again it, it plays into that pacing. Yeah, my wife, she didn't like it. I still dig it, but she was like, this is <laughs> she like halfway. She's like, I don't like it. I'm like, why you don't like it? They're singing. <laughs> That's always been so fascinating to me that, again, for some people, like, with, I mean, there's a hard line. Yeah. With, I think more so than any genre I know of. Right. There is a hard line with people in musicals. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Where, I've, I've got three people, you know, I can think of uh, off top. You know, if I mention, oh, you know, a musical, they're like, nope, I don't do musicals. Yeah. Nope, I don't like musicals. Yeah. And there are some bad musicals out there. There are some that are, you know, there are some that have like this certain you know trope and a certain sound to them. Yeah. That uh yeah no. But I don't know to put all of them in the same box. That I'm like that doesn't make. That's like saying if you like you know you don't like westerns or you don't like uh, man. Yeah. You know, there's always some some in some genre. I figure we could find something that you like, but you know to each each person their own. Yeah, it's, it's definitely weird. But I like you know this will probably just transition to us just talking about musicals in general. So like we can just spend like the next ten fifteen minutes just talking about musicals in general. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, she was like, "This is going to be on my." She has a list of movies that she'll never watch again. <laughs> and she 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 was like, "This is on my uh, on her list right now." Is Gummo? Did I ever tell you about Gummo? I think you got you may I, have mentioned it. Yeah, yeah I, I associate a bad experience with it. It's just saying it that. I think that one was directed by Harmony Corinne, a good old guy, Harmony mm. Corinne. Oh, man. But anyhow, it made her list. Uh, like, she has a list. It's got Gummo. And so okay. now this got on her list. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't think it deserves to be on the same list as Gummo. But uh, she, but she doesn't, she likes certain musicals. Because sure. I, I was like, you do like uh, like Annie. Okay. You like the new, the new Annie, the, the more contemporary. I actually never, I actually never watched that. She but. dug that one. Was, it was pretty decent. Okay. And then, so she's not anti music. She just didn't. She just didn't like this movie. Yeah. So and that's fair. Okay. And I'm, she, I'm like, all right. And I think for her, the when uh, live action when people are singing, it brings her out of the movie. Mm. Because if this just played as a movie, I think she would like the movie. But because when they start singing, it just brings her out of that. 
Really? And so I'm thinking that's what the deal is. And see, and I, I wonder, like, when they're singing, is she listening to the lyrics and what they're saying? Is she, or, or does like is she it, listens, does something totally like switch she, off? It just for takes her, her out of it because with this, like the that's for me, that's what draws me in because yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very big in the lyrics and yeah. anything I listen to. So, so yeah, she's if, the same gonna, way. If you're gonna she's, put it, I'm like, oh man, okay, what are you singing about? What's the context? But also, I want to I want to experience the play on words, kind of some of the right. poetry that's in it, you know. Right. And I like this because they, you know, the three girls, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are guides True. throughout. You know, they're almost yeah, they're almost yeah, the like narrators. Yeah, they 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 narrate and take us through, and their continual costume changes. I dig, and again, when you know, when people are, are singing about the, the situation, and there's a lot. This 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 is there are a lot of songs in in this musical, yes. and they are and it's short, and they this is a high amount of songs in musicals some have less this one has a lot and it's just yeah. it's, it's you literally at times go from one song literally right into another mm-hmm. um, but it's not a lot of like it's many of the three girls that dance it's, this is not one of those musicals we have like a bunch of dance routines like a like a, you know like a Grease you know you got actual like dance sessions and so like there's so there's different versions of musicals because oh, yeah. it's kind of hard to say like okay is um, what we were talking about uh, like the five heartbeats you know it's a movie but then it has like musical elements it has musical to it. numbers right no, it has it has performances mm-hmm. that's the difference for me five heartbeats has performances mm-hmm. where they're singing and dancing but they aren't singing to the plot they aren't singing to we're moving the plot forward we're not singing about our specific situation mm-hmm. um because I've seen the sake of uh, of performing for a crowd or or label or label because we are a musical group and it's it's crazy because it's like some people will put other films into this being a musical like what is a musical you know um like purple rain was on the list as far as like being a musical under the cherry moon for real like really? <laughs> yeah because it's like it has music and they're like performing <laughs> it in there that's that's um I'm trying to think of something to equate that to. That's that to me. That's almost like saying I don't know. That's oh, that, that's like saying if if I'm watching a movie that has somebody in it that um, that does anything heroic and involves any kind of uh, supernatural ability or extraordinary ability, then automatically that makes that a superhero movie. Well, because no. you can market it as that. You can market things all all kinds of ways, but right. not, but not. But I'm like ah. Not necessarily. This is an element mm-hmm. of the supernatural doesn't make it a superhero movie. There, there, there are additional tropes. Just because I don't know. To me, a musical is so specific. Like, mm-hmm. could like yeah, to me, if people break into song in the midst of the plot to move forward, it's it's the difference between Five Heartbeats mm-hmm. and Dream Girls. Didn't see Dream Girls. No. No. Dream Girls is a prime example. You have people Jennifer Hudson. When she won her Academy mm-hmm. for you, know, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to love me. Mm-hmm. That is a song she. You no, know, I take that back. I did see. I seen probably like 75 percent of that movie. Okay, that's I remember a, Eddie Murphy like doing his thing. Oh yeah, that's a song where they are people sing to each other, mm-hmm. not for the sake of performing for a crowd. That they, they are singing to each other to communicate their emotions and drive the plot forward. Versus five heartbeats. Anytime that they're singing and performing, it's for a crowd that that's it being recorded. But remember that one point with the girls sweeping up in the room. What about oh, that? Oh, jeez, man, you got me right there. Yeah, you totally <laughs> got me right there. I forget. I, I forget. That's about why I was that. like, it's like it's. No, uh, you got me there. No, you totally got me there. I, for, mm-hmm. I forget about. I forget about that that mm-hmm. scene. That that would make it. That's but a, I, that. No, nah, I. So it's like you have, have these little things. Yeah. So it's it's weird, you know what I mean? It's, you got uh, me on that one. I always forget, but that you're right. That yeah. that is a that is a musical number that would man. 
Yeah. But I enjoy that part of the movie. You know, it's not even, it doesn't take me out or anything like that. And I don't even, even though it's music, I don't, in my brain, I don't really view it as a musical, but it could be argued that. That's a musical number. Man. It's using musical, like a musical application in the film. Yeah. And that's the, and that's the only, it's kind of like the only one that's there where they, where they're breaking into song. Right. And uh, well, so. Yeah, but there's there's music kind of coming out of nowhere. That's the other that's the other <laughs> right. aspect. Does music come out of nowhere? It does. And in that scene, dead gummit, it does. <laughs> uh, and you know the context is that they're actually trying to sing about you know helping him come up with a song, and she's right. literally finding scraps, and she has a voice and all that. But yeah, there there is music coming out of nowhere. So that's a musical number. It's interesting. Huh. I don't know where we were going with that. Um, but so, yeah, it's kind of hard to define it, you know. Some well, I, I wouldn't say it's hard to define, but you got certain films that may not harp on the dancing so much, or how they're presenting the plot to you, or maybe they just having fun and singing. I don't know. Yeah, typically the numbers are going to move the story forward, right? Somehow, right? We're dealing with you know, whatever basic tropes of drama are there. Those numbers help at times transition, uh, help reveal. Uh, plot help reveal uh, characters, right? Mm-hmm. Their motivations help resolve conflicts at the end. Sometimes they're just plot devices. Sometimes they're just can be just fun. Yeah. Um, I think uh, out of musicals, even like with uh, with Disney and their and you know their animation, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like it's just it's I don't think you know it's animation, it's cartoon. We're already suspended belief anyway. Yes, of course the animals can sing, uh, but you know they. <laughs> <laughs> but those will classify as musicals, right? I don't know. I I, I just I just see them as the an, I see them as animated features. It's crazy, but they, yeah, I, I would call it the animated feature. I, I guess I, I guess you could you could almost subgenre. You mm-hmm. could subgenre. To me, animation is this key category. It's a Disney mm-hmm. animated film or Pixar animated film mm-hmm. or Sony or DreamWorks because it's one all of the animated few... films mm-hmm. and um, it's one of the few. Disney's like one of the few studios that continued the tradition of musicals after everybody kind of abandoned it. Hmm. There is a, um, I'm gonna recommend like just because we can probably this whole musical thing like this is like I didn't realize this until until I started kind of researching and looking through just like the history of Hollywood and how a lot of Hollywood was just built on the backs of like these actors that they that they kept in in their uh, in the star system. Yep, and. And if you could, you know, they taught them how to sing, you know, how to dance. They were triple, they were triple threats. Yeah. That was the foundation. You know, your your Fred Astaire's, your mm-hmm. your um, you know, the, the Judy Garlands. The, yeah, I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was it was like almost a given. Man, okay, oh man, I I, w- I wish I wish that um, singing in the rain, man. I wish that yeah. had commentary from the director. Wow. I would I would rec- I would recommend I would re- just as a movie staple classic. Singing in the Rain, man. If you've never, if you've never seen it, mm-hmm. highly. I saw it a couple of years ago. Cause I would always hear about it. I'm like, what's the big deal? It's from a performance standpoint, it's it, it's it's kind of awesome, man. Okay. There's some amazing things happening in that. And when you mm-hmm. see some behind the scenes, like how hard they work to pull off some of those things, those actors back then they were beasts, man. Beasts. It's crazy. So I would rec- there's a um, YouTube channel by Lindsay Ellis, and uh, she does like a whole piece of the death of the Hollywood musical and and she kind of brings up you know just how like the, basically the musicals are what like the uh, like the Marvel films are now like the tempos mm-hmm. you know they were tempo movies everybody was doing and kind of just the money 
bad business and things just kind of crushed the system crushed the system and it disbanded people were going to tv like new thing new opportunities started popping up uh actors that were doing musicals are now long they have their you know their own TV show where they might be singing and doing What's variety it? shows. Variety show, yeah, the Carol Burnetts and right. the Dick Van Dykes, exactly. And mm-hmm. a lot of these people came from like a musical background, and they just brought it to their show. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, it's very, very eye opening. So I, I didn't realize like just how much history, just in musicals, and how much like that was a Hollywood movie, the musical. You yeah, know? That, I mean that was yes, it was it was huge. The biggest stars of the day again, triple threats so there's something called a prestige picture have you heard of this term it's a um a prestige picture is a film produced to like bolster the film studio's perceived artistic integrity rather than turn a profit and so like an art house film yeah so it was like yeah and it's for studios that have money and so yeah basically the musical has kind of fallen into that category of a prestige film Mm. we're doing it to get some awards (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> Which, you know, we had with La La Land and what I mean, where are some other like kinda The art the artists. Even though even though it was a silent film. Yeah. Again, so many movies that get nominated for like best pictures, things like that, often appeal to old Hollywood. Yeah. Whether it was Hugo, you know, years back, again, the artist appeals to the old Hollywood system. Uh to some degree, uh Argo did. Yeah, it's when you look at them, it's very, very interesting to see how many that that, that play to that that get nominated again. La La Land again, yeah. speaking, you know, to you know, got nominated uh, for a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it was a different kind of different kind of, of musical. You know, mm-hmm. what Damien Chazelle did with that, it was it was kind of paying an homage to that as well. Um, Les Mis, Les Mis, you know, but Les Mis has been that play's been around for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, a long, long time. And you got like Mamma Mia. Was that one that was hot? Was it Mamma Mia? They did Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. And they did recently uh, the second Mamma Mia. Here I go again. I don't. I don't know what kind of accolades that uh, okay. received. Yeah, I guess you know enough to make a sequel. But yeah. So yeah, man. I got a um, a new appreciation for the genre just uh, after kind of doing a little bit of research and seeing like the history of the musicals. And even though now they're in a consider prestige pictures and. You know, there's ones that a lot of studios kind of stay away from them and like Westerns, you know, like it's but Westerns were a big part of the old Hollywood as well. Oh, yeah. And it's just those are just two genres that kind of they were they were of a I think they were of of a time. And that's why I think one reason why, you know, Hamilton was mm. was such a big deal um, that brought quite a bit of shine back to musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was huge. I mean, yeah. people were waiting in line and and. But that was just like a straight-up Broadway musical, but not converted to a movie yet. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Eventually, I'm sure. Oh, man, I would not want I'm to be. sure they will. Oh, man. Because I feel like I would probably enjoy the musical as like a Broadway production mm-hmm. versus as a movie. I think I would like probably The Little Shop of Horrors as, you know, the off-Broadway production. Right. Probably better than I would like the cinematic version. See, I don't... I. I'm now, just I'm just assuming that because I've seen this first, right? Yeah, you got a point. I probably use a I've different. I've seen film. this first, and this is and this is so well done. Yeah, when going and seeing it in a theater will never live up to for me. Will never live up to this, right? Because the way Audrey Two looks, it's going to be some dude in a in a plant, you know, costume, and that's you know, man of velvet or felt or something like that, or right. and and just. 
Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. It, yeah, it's and, and then the you got a point there. Yeah, it it, it would be. Yeah, I just think it's a. It'll just be a different experience. You know, I totally totally yeah. agree with that. I was driving down uh, downtown Fort Worth. Uh, I can't think of the name of the theater, and they got Carrie the musical. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That's like man. Okay, maybe I it popped on my radar because we were going to record this. It does sound. It does seem seem and sound interesting. Yeah. I'm kind of intrigued now. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that fascinates me also when something goes from, obviously, you know, it's a novel first, right. right? And then the movie adaptations, both versions, and then to Broadway. I'll tell you what, man, Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. I've never seen the actual musical, but I've got the soundtrack. I downloaded it one day, and mm. I dig some of the songs that are okay. that are in there. Uh, sometimes when I'm playing Spider-Man PS4, I'll, I'll literally, this one New York, like, opening song, it's all instrumental. It's got some nice guitar riffs in it, and I'll let that fly while I'm web-sling. But... Yeah, it's uh, musicals are. I was going back. I just thought about something. We we're talking about Lion King. So since Lion King, the old Lion King is animation, but mm-hmm. the new one's supposed to be live action. And if they're singing, See, I wouldn't even call it live action. That's what they, isn't that what they're saying? It's live action. Isn't that what they're marketing? Is this is the live action animation? A, a lot of times they automatically say that because most of the most because it looks like it's real life. Well, every other Disney film has some live real people in it, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's Aladdin, if it's Maleficent. Um, if it's Beauty and the Beast, there are real people in the role, so they automatically are just kind of using the term. But everything in the movie is all CGI. There's nothing real right. about it. You know, Lion King has no humans in it, so it's still. So you still look animated. at it as an. So do you view it as an animation? Yeah, you everything do? in there. Everything in there is computer generated. Right. So there's nothing live about it. If there's not a real person, in it because the book is live because you have that one kid. You have a right. real person. To me, that's live. Whether you're whether you're creating by 2D animation, or whether it's 3D, which is what this is, you know, it's so, still so cool. World with Brad Pitt. That's the live action. <laughs> it's the same with with animation. Roger yeah. Rabbit. Same. Yeah, there's a, yeah, if there's a live person in it. Then it's 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 a high. It, that's a it's a hybrid mm-hmm. of live action and animation. Right. Um. That and that's what I was just saying. That does it like fall into being considered a musical based on some of the as far as being a musical. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, like Based so with this rules. current Lion King, yeah. they're gonna be singing. It's, it's a hybrid once again. It's, it's, a, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's an animated musical movie. That's how I would categorize all it. these rules. Yeah, <laughs> animated musical movie. It's crazy. It's like you know, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, they've got it pegged as a comedy musical horror film, which it checks all of those. It does. I don't know how you sell that one. But heavy, heaviest, I think, on the musical side, it's the title def- indicates horror. Yeah. But the title also indicates comedy because it's a ridiculous little shop of horrors. Yeah. And I noticed with some of the other musicals, like we're looking at La La Land and some of these other ones, they lead with drama. Or they'll say mm-hmm. drama and then slash musical. I guess we'll jump into the commentary itself yes. shortly. But yes, uh, there's yes. some points. I was like, oh, I'll wait till we be Okay. So that's it for that. You know, I just wanted to talk briefly kind of like about musicals. And, you know, I encourage our listeners to kind of look into some of the history of Hollywood and kind of see where things come from. Yes. Yes. Your history. Again, we've got a lot of classes. Wizard of Oz. It's a musical. It is. Off to see the wizard. Somewhere over the <laughs> rainbow. There's a lot of songs in there. Well, yeah. if I only had a brain. The Wiz. Oh, buddy. <laughs> That's one of those films I didn't know that people, like, ragged on it until I got older. Yeah, Like, I, growing up, you know, that was it, man. Love The Wiz. I still love it now, man. I, yeah. but, that was creepy. That one I did see in daycare. Oh, man. Yeah. That was creepy. I was like, what is this? Well, when you, man, 
Yeah, when you get into the history of the the, the, the author behind the Wizard of Oz and mm-hmm. kind of where that came from, and it's it it's interesting. But yeah, the Wiz goes it goes like black magic, yeah. and hood. You know, like the the ghettos of the day of the right. of the seventies, and um, yeah, just some of the the art direction and all that kind of stuff. Again, we had that on vinyl too, mm-hmm. and yeah, my dad put that poster insert poster of the lion young because that would freak me out the lion and the witch right would freak me out he put it in my room when i came home one day was like i don't know second grade or whatever i walked in my room saw it ah! ran out <laughs> first rule son don't trust anybody that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah man um what did you think about the commentary of this movie with uh frank, frank oz. oz very impressed man frank oz he's yeah. super technical and he's boom, boom, breaking down. Yeah, you know, definitely if you're gonna listen to Frank Oz commentary, make sure you've watched the film before because he <laughs> he spoils every, like like <laughs> spoils every scene that like this is what's gonna happen next. It's like, oh, I know what's gonna happen next. Like, you know, I've, I've watched it, but he's right. he's he says that quite a bit. All right, what's gonna that's what happen? This 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 and this. When he's he's constantly breaking it down, letting you yeah. know what they used, you know what was difficult. And again, I've got even greater appreciation for this film. True, just hearing about like. A huge soundstage, six months worth of shooting, all the miniatures that were used. But it's it's this is a good looking film, especially yeah. I don't know if you watched any of the, the the behind the scenes stuff. No, I didn't. But there's a feature that they show, and you can kind of see like the way the film like used to look, or how they did it for this documentary piece. Mm-hmm. And then when you see it now, the transfer into the you know into to Blu-ray, it just man, it looks so much better, man. <laughs> it just colors all that, it, it just yeah. pops. You can the, the it's a definite contrast. But yeah, I enjoyed. Really enjoyed Frank Oz. Me too. Uh, as a director um, and in this commentary. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Right up my alley. Technical. Like to the point to where it's like he's breaking the scene down to the second. I'm like, ah, that's what I'm talking about, Frank. Yeah. So, yeah, def- from a technical standpoint, uh, filmmakers definitely check this commentary out. You'll definitely appreciate it more, see what everybody went through. We we just take so much stuff for granted, man. Mm, man, uh, you don't realize, you know, who from stunt people who might have gotten hurt on a film or killed, or you just don't know what people are doing to get these scenes that we just, we just take it for granted. Oh yeah, and the fact that, that this commentary in particular was actually recorded in 1997. Yeah, so almost 10 years uh, yeah. from the original filming of the of the movie, and he still was crisp and on point. Man, he really was. He so really that, was. That's pretty impressive for 10 years. Um, the style of the film, I have a earthy, grungy feel. Has a simulated rain style. Man, yep. Got the moving camera. Uh, you've got a lot of moving camera work in different positions. Like from a, a visual, work. visually stimulating. Uh, this film, it's... Uh, There's one shot in particular that they have where they have like a, a crane on a crane kind of shot mm-hmm. um, that, he, that he discussed because there, there wasn't a, a crane big enough the captures they had to you know uh have some uh, some innovation going on but yeah i, I agree definitely dark and, and, and moody at uh, at certain times it's fantastic practical effects use yeah. effects used throughout great use of, of miniatures some great camera tricks man yeah. i'm a fan for just keeping everything optical keeping it in camera that's Dude, a, i like that when they i never realized that when they talk about the scene of, of, of audrey too first growing out of the out of the maxwell coffee yeah. can when he said how they did that I, I, my mind is still spinning like wait what saying that the camera is moving closer i'm like wait what like that's <laughs> that's awesome everything just about everything you know everything was shot all i mean it's one big 
uh, studio in London that yeah. they shot on. And they just page, re- yeah. rebuilt a replica of Skid Row in New York. So everything is an is an interior, uh, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, you know, there's again lots of crane work and lots of camera movement for real. Because somebody could have easily took this and just gave it the stage play look and just shoot it. Okay, we're done in a month. You know, whatever. Because you know the the original film. Oh yeah, by Corman, which is classically kind of panned for being. No, known as being bad was shot just within a couple of days you know most of the story takes place literally in the store yeah the only other location I think there's a location at, at a dock or something like that and I've never the seen the first one office I didn't see the first one but the reason the um, really bad. Roger Corman I like Roger Corman like his business practices you know the original film was 19 just like trivia just uh, since you started talking about it um uh, it was in 1960, the original film, 1960, made by Roger mm-hmm. Corman, made for $27,000. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's, he brags. He's like, in the book that was that I uh, said earlier, uh, he brags that he made his money back in the first hour uh, of its release. <laughs> uh, and, of course, that was later adapted into a stage play, and he was able to you know capitalize on that. But a part of, also another one of the trivia is that he didn't ever copyright the film. Roger Corman never copyrighted the movie or anything like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was basically was in the public domain and <laughs> from the very beginning. He had to kind of go back and you know tie tie some loose ends up. Wow. But he kind of bragged that, hey, we made our money back like in the, f- the first hour release, whereas this new movie, which was supposed to be this blockbuster, didn't make its money back at all. And it only took him two days to make it. It took them six months to make it. $33 million. How many people even know about the original? You know, well, the, uh, when the stage play came out, when mm-hmm. the when the stage play came out, that's when it started. That's when it got back on Roger Corman's radar. Sure, uh, but, and then people were like bootlegging it. They were bootlegging the original film. They were it was on VHS. They were bootlegging it. He's like, man, what's going on here? Like, why is this popular? <laughs> mm. And so he had to kind of go back because it was starting to make money, and sure. everybody knows Roger Corman is about that money. And so he had to go figure out how he can make sure that he was. Included on, you know, like a shirt for the stage play and anything else afterwards. Nice, nice. Are we yeah, doing so, more trivia? Uh, no, no. I was just, I didn't want to kind of go back and say that twice. So since we were kind of going that way, I was like, oh, that's. What did you think? Uh, what about the tone? Like, what? How'd you feel about the tone or mood of the the movie? So the overall uh, tone, again, it's it's dark. Yeah. You know, from 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 the the jump. Again, it's a dark comedy mm-hmm. because you you go from this this epic voiceover you know talking yeah. about this this presence that's coming to try and take over and destroy that's it's very ominous yeah and then we instantly break into song to let us know hey this is a musical mm-hmm. and then once we get inside the shop you know the first lines from the from the the the, the main cast mm-hmm. you know we see seymour his shelf breaking and him falling to the ground and then we we hear mr mushnick you know, see what what's going on down there? Not very much, Mister Mushnick. You know, we already know. Okay, there's this dynamic, and this, you know, this is, you know, weird and and, and kind of silly and funny. And so, right. like those three tones, I feel are established early on and just continue to to play. And, and I think balance really well. Yeah. Throughout all three things, just are consistent throughout. Yeah, which is hard to pull off. Like that's one of Agreed. the yeah that's difficult to do, um, but as far as like the tone, it's over the top, it's, it's cartoonish, and mm-hmm. good director because he was directing his actors to turn up the cartoonish, the cartoon kind of like behavior where some of them were kind of playing it straight, like no, bring it up more, go on, give me more, 
and it's very self-aware in that regards. Yeah. Uh, very, very self-aware. Mm-hmm. It's a musical, even maybe kind of poking fun a little bit at some of the tropes of being a musical, yeah. especially at the towards the end when they're going into a reprise of Suddenly Seymour and Jim Belushi shows up, hey, hey, you kids, if you could just stop singing for a moment. He actually talks to them and asks them to stop singing. That's something that like almost never happens in musicals. Meta. The fact that people are just singing yeah. just seems so natural. Yeah. And he's addressing it directly. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, he, he talked about how to kind of keep the, the same tone and mood. Um, the fact that it was shot on the sound stage, he was able to kind of keep that look throughout all the different sets that they had. Mm-hmm. He, so it doesn't feel like you're in a different location or anything like that. He was able, you were able to control it a lot more. What are some themes, man? You got a theme for this movie? Three that, that I, I jotted down. One is actually one of the songs that they sing towards the end, The Meek Shall Inherit the Earth. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, they say, we really think the name of the song is You're Gonna Get What's Coming to You. Oh. And this is a shortened version of that, which, again, even I think even on the album, um, it's not really played that long, but I heard it on a different version, like a, the uh, off-Broadway version of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I, I heard the full song, and I was like, "Wait, what's this? This is you know, it goes all out, and you can you can understand it better for, for whatever reason." Uh, okay. But uh, just you know, ultimately saying that you're gonna get what you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get what's coming. You're to gonna you. get it. Yeah, that you know, Seymour's <laughs> gonna ultimately reap what he sows. Yeah. Um, but also, I put the villain thinking he's a hero. Now. In the original version of this, right, right. In the original version of Little Shop of Horrors, if you've only seen the 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 theatrical version, the original version of Shop of Horrors, whether you watch the the, the Roger Corman film, whether you watch the Broadway play, in the end, both lead characters, everybody dies. Basically, the plant <laughs> wins. Yeah. Um. This this alien plant wins, and what Frank Oz and his uh, main special effects guy, the production designer Roy Walker, what mm-hmm. they originally made and shot painstakingly shot was this elaborate takeover of this plant it gets reproduced and it's it's breaking into homes it's on it ends on the top of the empire state building and um audrey gets you know she dies from being bitten by the plant and then ultimately seymour literally ritually sacrifices her to the plant at her request she asked to be given to the plant Mm-hmm. Hence, forevermore being somewhere that's green, right? You know, um, and then he ultimately decides to try and fight the plant, and after attempting to commit suicide, and realizing he has to try to stop the plant, and ultimately loses and gets eaten, yeah, by the plant. That's dark, okay, it's super dark. And um, but at the end of the day, Seymour is not a good guy in that first version. He's not a good, in my opinion, he's not and a the good director's, guy. The director's yeah, cut? Yeah, the director's yeah. cut, he's not a good guy. He tries to make amends at the end, but... Yeah, it's it's bad, man. Um, You know, I've only seen this film a few couple times, a few times or whatever that I remember. You know, I, I remember certain parts. You know, I remember mm-hmm. the plant eats people. I remember him uh, feeding them with his fingers and things like that. Like, there's certain, in the song, Supper Time, and feed me, of course. Right, right. Um, I remember all that, but... When I put this Blu-ray in and it just, we, you know, we just played it all the way through. And then I saw that his girlfriend got injured and then she's dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I don't remember this part of the mm-hmm. film. <laughs> and then he featured back to the plan. I was like, I don't remember this at all. No. And, and so I got to see the director's version off top. But yeah, that I was like, man, this is terrible. I'm glad this wasn't part of the. Yeah. I, this would have scarred me as a kid. But uh so in the director's cut again, the villain thinking yeah. he's a hero, and then but in, in overall, even whatever ending you see, I think it's the theme of you know, you know selling your soul, yeah, uh, because that's ultimately what Seymour 
does. And again, that's that's where supper time. That's the that is well, feed me is kind of the first seduction, mm-hmm. but it can almost be justified because True. we're we're made to not like you know Oren mm-hmm. um, because he's a you know he's a womanizer, he's an abuser, mm-hmm. he's a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, he's getting his, and he dies by accident. Anyway, yes, Seymour was there to kill him. Yes, that's true. <laughs> it's a happy accident, you know. And, uh, you know, he you know chops with the body. And all that. Like, okay, well, the guy was dead anyway by his own hand. So you're like, all right, maybe you could justify that. And he's not, you know, beating on Andre anymore. Yeah. But Mr. Crowborn, <laughs> even though Mr. Crowborn's trying to, you know, swindle Seymour and let him go. This is, to a degree, it's a certain act of mercy. Um, but it's also greedy as well because he wants to make money off of him. Yeah, man. That plan is turning everybody evil. I I had the same thing, man. Sell your soul to the devil and you will pay at the end. Yeah. I didn't realize how dark this thing was. Mm-hmm. What are some like some of the tropes, man? Mm. Any like musical tropes? Yeah, man. So with musicals, one of the things that I, I, I tend to enjoy at times are uh, when something gets reprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly when you have a certain theme and then when that theme, you know, comes back around mm-hmm. uh, different times or you hear variations of that theme at right. different times. So sometimes supper time. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it comes back. It's the remix. <laughs> right. <laughs> when he when 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 he calls Audrey, you know, yeah. you know what? I just thought about it. What did, that, that reminds me of mm. it almost reminds me of the John Carpenter. Oh. Uh, Michael Myers theme okay. a little bit, you know? Yeah. That the piano. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. When did Mike when did that when did that movie come out? It came out like 78, 79. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Perfect. But yeah, just well, that that it sound. It would make sense then. Um but um uh, so yeah, uh, the, the tropes of, you know, you having your reprisals and things come back around, the fact that people sing randomly and nobody says anything about it. It just seems normal. And I, I love that Jim Belushi said, hey, if you could just stop singing for a moment. And the fact they start, and also, again, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek because they start singing while they're outside where this plant that wants to take over the world is there. They start singing right then and there. It's yeah. like, this is the worst time to be singing. <laughs> break out in the song. Yeah. yeah and, and so, but, it's, but it's very self-aware in that yeah. regards. What else did I have? Again, just, overall, the whole film is being very, it's tongue-in-cheek as a whole. And then, of course, the underdog, uh, the trope of the underdog, yeah. which Seymour is. But again, he, he goes, he breaks bad. Uh, but but because the reaction of people seeing that original ending, the director said, well, we got to change it. People fell in love with these two. They mm-hmm. fell in love with these characters. And they talks about the power of the close up. But uh, yeah, the underdog of the musical tropes and, you know, the self-aware tongue in cheekness of it all how about you man what tropes do you have I didn't have any <laughs> alright <laughs> I didn't have I, and because like uh, I have a limited knowledge with, in the musical so I'm just like ah, mm. I don't think I'll be reaching <laughs> I see you man I see do you have any favorite scenes the Skid Row number when they when they sing Skid Row I I love that song man <laughs> I love the way it starts yeah I love the middle I, I love just the variety of people it's introducing us to this world yeah you know when that woman, you know, she first comes in, you know, goes off at seven, you know, and she, you know, she's bringing it with those powerhouse vocals. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things where I'd, I'd be very fascinated if Shanti were to hear some of these songs, just listening to them, mm-hmm. not watching them, but just listening to them, what she would think of the songs themselves. Right. That'd be fascinating. But yes, like when I hear uh, that and this, it, when it just plays out and everybody, you know, you got some, you know, crazy bad accents here and there, whatever, but everybody's just kind of doing their thing and you're seeing the life of these people. But again, it's also the, the lyrics of this, this hard life. Yeah. Um, you know, uptown, you cater to a million jerks and, you know, eating all your lunches at the hot 
dog carts, the one who take your money and break your hearts and just <laughs> and it's the harmonies of it. I just yeah, man. I uh I dig it. And the fact that everybody does this little like like step move at times. Like there's one scene <laughs> where they're all in the streets. Mm-hmm. Like it's like everybody's tension. It's just they're they're kind of fed up. They're sick and tired of being right. sick and tired and they're like, uh, uh, uh. And then at the end how even though Seymour and Audrey live in the same world and they work at the same shop, yeah. they still have this distance between them. Mm-hmm. And how they, they both end at the, the corner of the street and don't even know that they're there, but they're both on the opposite sides of the corner. I'm like, ah, oh, that's it's kind of, you know, poetic to kick it off that way. Yeah, I enjoy that opening sequence. It's uh you got Tachina. Is I'm not saying her name right. Uh you got Tisha Campbell Martin. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh Tashina Arnold. Did mm-hmm. I say her name right? Also for Martin. It was crazy, man, just Pam to see them Gina. so so young. They were probably like teenagers then, you know, and just young girls just doing their thing, working hard, getting that money. And they so, were working. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they were I mean, are that many numbers, that many wardrobe changes? They got the energy. They got it going. Yeah. It was cool just to see them like how far you know, with their career and how they were able to stay in the industry. I mean, that's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So same. I enjoy that opening sequence as well. And the, and the way that they shot the skid row, it was when their hands are going against the gate and it's got the dark, it's like a dark shadow behind them. It's like, you can tell this is like a horror film Mm kind of vibe to it. And those, there's something about that really, I think a credit to Frank Oz as a director, because he's also, he also directed dark crystal. Oh Yeah. Plague knows how to make things creepy. Yeah. <laughs> what are the uh, fave scenes you have? Um, duh, 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 duh. what's the uh, the Steve Martin? Because I'm a dentist. Is that the name? Is that yeah. the name of the song? How's it? I don't remember. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, Man, I remember that that sequence. I do remember now. Now I think it, like it jogged my memory. I was like, that's probably my favorite sequence. Like, because yeah. Steve Martin <laughs> is cartoonish. He's over the top. Very likable. He's just in his element. Just he's an adult that just has fun, mm-hmm. and um, the way he gets off his bike when he pulls up, and he just jumps off the bike, and he's like, Ugh, and it just pulls. I'm like, man, this this is pretty good. He's like evil Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got that. He's got that vibe. And they also say because it was set like in the 50s, there's also a little bit of like kind of Fonzie, yeah, little Fonzie, Fonzie vibe. Yeah. But he said he didn't want to fully emulate those guys, but to kind of draw from them. Right. And they said they wanted to treat his motorcycle like a horse. <laughs> That's why it kind of stops by itself. Um, but they literally, Frank said that they storyboarded that uh, the number of steps he would oh, yeah, take that's to right. the music to get inside the building, to mm-hmm. get to the door, to open up, like, every, the, to the step, uh, it was storyboarded out. But, yeah, that's all of, all of, pretty much all of his scenes. Like He, he steals he, the show, man. Oh, yeah. He, cut, he cuts through. And, and just the song I itself, man. The lyrics to that song, it just they're 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 perfect, man. The lyrics are perfect, you know. Coming in, punching nurses, like wow, oh, oh man, you know your temperament's wrong for the priesthood, and teaching will will suit you not. Son, be a dentist. You'll you'll be a success. The leader of the plaque, and just yeah, man. Yeah, he he stole us, stole the show with that scene. Also, speaking of the dentist scene, Bill Murray. For me, oh, yeah. Bill Murray's cameo in this is just genius, man. <laughs> and again, the, the character was in the original uh, movie, in the mm. original Roger Corman movie. You had those those elements were were there, uh-huh. but the way Bill Murray plays him, and they brought him in for a couple of days. Yeah, and a good chunk of what he's saying when he's sitting in the chair, a good chunk of that was improvised. That's crazy. He was just like 
And, and, and then Steve. I know these had a blast because they're just both comedians like oh, that. Yeah. Steve was playing, you know, the straight man as far as kind of saying the saying the saying the same lines mm-hmm. over and over again. But Bill Murray would 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 do like do something different, like almost each time uh, in the context of the scene. And so they were like just we're just going and going. And then the the latter part of it when mm-hmm. he's leaving the office and Seymour's still in the chair. They did like thirty some different takes of that, and every time it wasn't working, Frank was said, "Okay, you guys go and, and and think of a different ending to the scene. To find something that works." Good direction, so, man. The sadist meets the masochist. Yes, I love when he <laughs> said that. I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what we are we are experiencing. Right, and like the sadist, he can't get off. If the masochist is getting off. You know, he's mm-hmm. supposed to be inflicting pain. Exactly, he's not supposed to be enjoying it. So it's just kind get of crazy. Here, sicko. <laughs> To see Does this scare you? Yes. <laughs> Would you like to put this inside your mouth? And that? <laughs> yeah. Well, then get in here. And so even then, you know, like the cut, <laughs> yeah. right? The yeah, cut the for him grabbing yeah. him. And then, uh. so beautiful. when you see the behind the scenes, uh-huh. like they, they show how they, like him, <laughs> how many times Rick Moranis was put into that seat, like them slamming him in the oh, seat. Man. Like you, you see Steve Martin do it like five times, like bam. Bam. And then you see Frank Oz doing it. Like, uh, like, no, do it like this. Uh, and you see him. Uh, uh, and he's like, anybody else want to go? <laughs> They're just dropping him in that seat trying to get the him to land just right. But uh, that, that actually goes into, like, that's one of my favorite, just like little transition scenes, you know. That, that and then, of course, we already talked about Super Time. So that, that kind of sums up my favorite scenes. Well, even the opening, you know, when you have mm-hmm. the, the, the scroll, the crawl. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, it's water. You know, mm-hmm. again, it, it, it's water. And the same thing with the, with the yeah. dentist, right? Coming out of his scene, we get the uh, the after his song, that guy now spit. And then yeah. all of a sudden, we see water being thrown on the streets. Yeah, see more throwing see the water. Again. Yeah. yeah, it's like ah, oh, these Connecting transitions, all the man. Yeah. yeah, dig that quotes. Oh, do you have any more favorite scenes? No, that was it. That was it for me. Uh, what you got for quotes? Uh, of course. <laughs> my only quote was just how Steve Martin is playing the insecure dentist because you know, everybody knows like you're not a real doctor you know oh. they, they play that in uh, what what film was that uh, um, when we wake up in Las Vegas and everybody's trying to figure out what happened Bradley Cooper Hangover Hangover um, and, you know one of the characters was a dentist and he said I'm a doctor but you're not a real doctor so every kind of people play <laughs> with the dentist on that but, and so he makes his girlfriend um Audrey. Audrey, of course. How can I forget that? Uh, so he makes Audrey say, yes, doctor. Yes, what? Yes, doctor. <laughs> the way, the I'm way, sorry, doctor. <laughs> the way she plays it is just perfect. Oh, man. Yeah, she does. You feel sorry for her, man. It's oh. just like, doctor. She got this lisp going on. Yeah, the way she, and when you hear her talk in real life, you're like, oh, man, she is playing up this this character. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, uh, quotes wise, I also had again specifically from Audrey when when she's talking with Seymour and she's telling him how she didn't think that since she's, that she's lived a horrible life, she's done horrible things. She says, "I used to, you know, work at some some place and I, I, I would I would wear cheap and tawdry outfits. Not nice, not nice ones like this. Yeah, one. that, yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> that, nice ones like this one. That would crack me up. I'm like, oh man, the the subtlety of the humor." Um, when I was a kid, I always used to love when Audrey too, the plant at the when after he wanted to be fed, yeah, right before Feed Me plays, mm-hmm. and he says to Seymour, he says, "Oh, cut the crap, bring on the meat." Yeah, <laughs> that reminds me of that Arby's. Yeah. We got the meat. We've got the meats. Cut 
them a check, Arby's. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, and then I, then I had I had yes, doctor in parentheses. So uh, in quotation marks. So yeah. So doctor. oh, here's here's another one. Yeah, I, I mentioned this before we started. Like when 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 he's talking with with Seymour and he's trying to guess his name and finds he's like Seymour. And and he and he and he turns like someone talking to you, or, he, or something like quite a little chatterbox tonight. This is the way that that he Steve turned, Martin plays it. You know, yeah. he goes from like this. You know, the, the country boy, oh, nice plan, yeah. big. You know, just and then just, uh, he, he's turning, man. Like this is Steve Martin. This is one of my favorite performances by him. He doesn't always Steve Martin doesn't always do, but this one is one of my favorite. performances. Bowfinger, and he, yeah, and amigos, and Frank Oz directed Bowfinger, I believe. He did. He did. Okay. Yeah, he did. Thought I saw that. I think there's a, there's another movie also that he directed that has Steve Martin in it. He's worked with Steve Martin a number of times. I was looking through his filmography and I was like, hmm. Steve Martin has a lot of stuff. It's he's got a heck my of blue a, heaven, heck of an archive. That'll take. Over. I like Jerk. him the most. Even when he's not playing over the top characters, I like him in Parenthood. Hmm. Oh, Roxanne. I liked him in Roxanne. As a kid, that was I was I I really dug that movie. Just you could just just yeah. He brought, he, he brought it in that one, man. Like Kind of like going with favorite scenes, I didn't realize, but when he flew in with the bike, when he, mm. <laughs> like his, <laughs> like out of nowhere, he just lands, and he's mm. like an airplane, just lands. I'm like, okay, that works. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the elements of like the little fantastical elements that yeah. kind of happen at times, you're like, oh. But especially with him and his bike, again, it's like, like a horse. It's like this thing just like just stops. Like that doesn't happen that way. At all. And then he parks parks the bike and then Audrey's like running. Like he left Audrey. Like Yeah. It's like, oh man. And but so even when they cut back to, to Seymour and Audrey too in the shop and they, they use that red, you know, to yeah. show and then, Trivia. Oh, there I've got plenty of trivia. Yeah, man. I'm gonna cut mine down a little bit because I got quite a few and I'm pretty sure we've already touched on some by accident. Let's do it. Six months to shoot, 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And what got him through, uh, Frank Oz, was the music. The music was so good, and that just allowed him to... Let me finish this. I couldn't imagine six months of doing this. I really couldn't. Yeah, man. And especially when you talk about just... Oh, man. I'm, I'm, I'll say that for like some of the tips, but how technical they had to get with some of these things and the timing. Um, the guy who produced the musical also produced the movie. Uh, his last name is... is it, pronounced geffen or jeffen but yeah no that gentleman he uh he produced it and of course again ellen green we've established she played audrey uh in both the off-broadway musical and the movie yeah. which is pretty a pretty rare thing for yeah. an actor to be able to reprise a role like that 14 songs that's how many songs was in this film man and the 14 songs within 94 minutes wow perfect yeah, man. Again, it's nonstop. Um, so here's one thing I, that I, I noticed just from watching it. There are multiple former cast members of Saturday Night Live and also the, the Canadian kind of Canadian comedy variety kind of show called uh, Second City TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Moranis, John Candy. And they were friends, right? They were friends. Yeah, yeah. But they also were on they, they were on that show. Baseballs. Yeah, they were both in Spaceballs too. Yeah, Barf and, and and Darth Helmet, Rick Moranis. I remember. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That was the expression. I was <laughs> no, like, I was just, no, I was just going through my memory. I was like, I, I watched it so many times, but I kind of forgot a lot. Oh yeah, oh, Spaceballs. Um, one more. Jim Henson's kids uh, show up in oh, the yeah, film. Yeah. Uh, one is the is the little girl with the crazy <laughs> bracelet contraption on her mouth, and then um, is it uh, one of the puppeteers or one of the the, the mechanics if you will for for audrey is is it 
oh man, what's his name? Is it David Henson? Uh, I don't remember his name, but I'm assuming it's Henson's son. But he's working like the puppet. Yeah, working uh-huh. uh, Audrey Two, especially like during the like the Feed Me song. He's like he's like, he's, he's even covered like in branches, like helping yeah. move the the main head. One little trivia is in England, a DP light. The DP is the one doing the lighting, and the camera operator actually talks to the director about camera moves and setups and blocking. But in America, the DP lights and talks to the director about setups and camera move, camera movements and lenses and things like that. Whereas a comp- the camera operator doesn't talk; he's just hands and eyes. And it's a little flip of that. I think that's I think it's very interesting. You know, I think I like the. Uh, Probably the England way of doing it, because director of photography, definitely. But the person that's holding the camera that's going to be going, you know, blocking and doing all this stuff, it makes sense, you know, to talk to that person. But, hey, you know, because of the studio system and what we have in place, got to keep these unions, keep keep these jobs justified. It'd be fascinating to see, like, within indie, you know, filmmakers, if it, mm-hmm. if it ends up being more of the UK style. <laughs> yeah, with um, the indie stuff, is you're the operator. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. like, Robert Rodriguez, you light. You're true. the operator. You're the DP true, a lot true. of times. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. Well, let's jump to filmmaker tips. When you, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but when you create your environment, it's being, on, it's being shot on the stage. You get to create the environment where everything gets to live in it's easier to carry that tone over to each scene. Mm. Um, it's like theater, basically. And this, the, the size of this interior, I mm-hmm. think, played really well into that. It allowed for some pretty uh, amazing shots as well. The power of the close-up. Originally, again, they had to scrap the, the original dark ending that was faithful to the original uh, work, both play and movie, because when test audiences saw it and they saw that Seymour and Audrey had were, you know, killed mm-hmm. Frank Oz said he learned a valuable lesson that the, that the power of the close up you can't you can't kill the people that the audience falls in love with yep. uh, in, in, in not in this instance yep. there are instances of course you're going to have you know sad endings sometimes but in this one it didn't work and he, he says that you know we weren't making a movie for two people because him, him himself and Roy Walker they wanted to be faithful to the original ending yep. whereas the producer Dave uh, Jeffen or Geffen uh he had said from the jump, he goes, look, you can't, you can't kill these two. But, can't kill your two leads. Yeah, he said, but I respect you guys, and you do what you think is best. And ultimately, you know, they found out that you know, Jeff and, um, was, was right. Yeah, he warned them, you know, it's going to have a negative effect. And yeah, it definitely makes sense. And it comes to the point where you're in the cinema world, you know. Mm-hmm. You get a close-up, you feel connected to these people. You know, we're sitting there voyeuristically watching them kiss each other. You know what I mean? Like... These are our friends. These, you know, so they could be traumatizing having them die in that fashion. And the build up to their romance is earned. Again, yeah. from from the from the very jump, like I mentioned before, they're in the skid row. They're right there, but apart. Yeah. And every interaction they have is this cute awkwardness. Though he sadistically kind of rescues her from her tragic boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of it comes together. And he was pushed, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he was he was pushed, uh, but I think this thing impacted Frank Oz a lot because in the behind the scenes stuff when he when he he does a commentary on the original ending, mm-hmm. uh, and when he talks about it, he he constantly says that audiences hated us for you know having killed their leads. That's the he used that line specifically. They hated us for 
You know, they yeah. hated us for, you know, doing it that way. He, he mentions it multiple times in that. I'm like, wow, I think this affected him quite a bit. Right. And then uh, whenever I forgot where I read this, but when they put in the new ending with, um, the, you know, with the full color and all that stuff and they showed it to an audience. I don't I don't know what year this was. They showed it to the audience. They got like a standing ovation of like the new director's cut of the film. So what, what was it? What do you mean? Like uh, they reshowed it to I don't know if it was like a premiere that they had um, somewhere with the new director's cut, you know, for the first time showing the audience what you saw, what you what you saw. Yeah. With the with the, with the original color. ending, yeah, with the color, and it they had he had a standing ovation, people clapped, you know. Oh. So I, so you know he, I guess you you know you're right, you know it, it stuck with him that long that he was like I got the I got the stuff in color, let's do it right. Yeah, because even when he did the even the commentary, it's mm-hmm. interesting. The commentary for this is old, because when he's when he's talking about the commentary mm-hmm. uh, for that, just I mean just for that original ending, yeah. He he says multiple times, "Oh, you know, if we were going to fully do this, we would have had sound effects." Uh, would, but there are sound effects in it, uh, so they oh, I see what they, you mean. they went through and touched it up for this, but they didn't have him do new commentary for oh, it, which is fascinating. I'm like, oh, that's interesting because I'm like, oh, sound effects are all sound effects are there. You know, he said, yeah. he said there should have been a sound effect of you know, you know, the plant breaking through this. I'm like, I'm like, no, the sound effects there. And it's there now. So um, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, when you're studying craft. You can make discoveries, you know, instead of just doing the same thing, how another filmmaker would do things, start making your own discoveries. And what he discovered was that when he would rewind the videotape of um, the puppeteers uh, of the plant of Audrey II, like mimicking and singing, that it looked realistic. But for whatever reason, it didn't really look realistic or they were kind of missing certain cues in 24 frames per second. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what they ended up doing was cutting it down to 16 frames per second when they shot it. And uh, when they were able to bu- um, ramp it back up to 24 frames per second, it looked natural. And I always wondered about that. I didn't know how they were able to do it, but the lips on this plant look like it's just alive and talking. Alive, yeah. Oh. And what makes that even more amazing, and credit to, to Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. is that when when the camera's just on him, you know, as a, one, uh, a single shot of him, it's mm-hmm. at 24 frames when he's singing. Yeah. When it's him and Audrey too in the same frame, it's back. It's down to sixteen frames per second. Yeah. So he is moving very slow. So when he's singing, he is singing slowly. He is moving slower. He is talking slower. And then of course it's obviously sped up. Yeah, that is insane, That's man. And especially as many takes as they did of that stuff. They did thirty a lot of takes, takes on the average. Thirty takes. And they were like 10 seconds of take. What? From the top. From the top. Yeah. And to, to, yeah. And to, to, to work at that kind of pace, that's something, man. Credit to man, Rick Moranis, man. Amazing. Whenever you're, um, there was a lot of storyboarding going on in this film, you know, uh, like down to the second. Uh, when you're storyboarding or pre-visualizations, we call it now. Um, you're communicating more things than just words. And so costume changes and uh, some of the plant stuff that they had that was like really, really planned out. And so don't, you know, you're we're dealing with a visual uh, visual craft. So, you know, let's not skip that process of storyboarding. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned like being being innovative. Like I mentioned before that that first shot of Audrey two growing out of the Maxwell Coffee House yeah. tin can that that was 
all in camera. Again, I'm I'm still like I don't know how you guys did this. I still don't get it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, what? Be be innovative and study study what's come before. Yeah. Because for me to look at this, this is kind of the same way I felt about when I watched um, uh, the old 1939 Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and they wow. show the effects of of him transforming on camera. His face literally changing colors. It's a black and white film, but his face changing colors, and it wasn't a dissolve shot. No, literally his face changing color and becoming wow. darker right there in camera, and how they had they had used a special kind of ink on his face that lightens when you expose something a certain way, uh, and then I think they they think like then play in reverse or something like that. But uh, okay. some smart smart techniques. That made me think about uh, you know Francis Ford Coppola's son. You know, was it Raymond Stokers? Was it Ray Raymond Coppola? Ramon Coppola? I think Ramon. Yeah. It was Ramon. Just they would study films like that. You know, go back to study those films in order to implement that into the Dracula film. Yes, smart. Study the craft, everybody. Master shot. So there's a scene. What scene is that? Seymour and Audrey at the end when he's seeing Mean Green Mother. Is that Mean Green Mother? Well, I said everything they they didn't have. They didn't have like any almost like no masters like whatever they shot what they had they just kept they were in the store right they mm-hmm. were in this that was the mean green all the vines are going everywhere uh-huh yeah and then the uh they're about to kiss though it looks like they're about to kiss and then they're interrupted by the store owner oh okay no that's early that's early. okay okay that's, okay that's, that's early on when um right after he started feeding it the blood from his fingertips yeah and he's forgetting everything and and yeah so seymour he's coming in and um He's messing up, and she's, like, busy, like, clipping the, the flowers. Mm-hmm, this the is for a funeral. And so a master shot, basically just one camera shot. There's no cutaway shots. It's just that one that one camera angle with both of the actors in front of it. So it allows the work, allows the actors to do the work, but you have no other cameras to cut away to. So if they mess up and you don't realize that they messed up, <laughs> you're pretty much screwed. And uh, he said, you know, it's risky. Um, but you know this goes with having a vision as a director having a vision allowing your people to work um, it remind me of the shot uh, on uh, Inside Man with uh, Denzel and Jodie Foster is that Jodie Foster? yeah Jodie Foster and what was the line that he said when it, was, it was him on the left it was her on the right they're facing each other profile shot it was like uh, the first time him meeting her and he said he was basically saying screw you or something like that or right. kiss my black ass or something right like right that. right right. Something I'm trying to remember like, the line I'm trying to remember the quote someone was like not not wanting to be condescending or not, not, not uh, there's something you, she said like you couldn't afford it she basically was saying you can't afford it and he like flipped it back on her after that mm. but uh, anyhow in that shot it was just a one shot you know and and Spike was like you know we're gonna stick with this master shot instead of trying to do a bunch of coverage we're gonna just stay here and let them do their thing uh, so that's what it reminded me of and it was the same setup you know Seymour's on the left Audrey's on the right they get interrupted by the and cut go to the next shot but anyway you know don't be afraid to be you know take risk uh, also you gotta mention this earlier but um, you know collaborate with your with your actors Rick Rick actually helped helped out with some of the blocking for some scenes he would you know give his his, his input uh, but also, again, uh, with Bill Murray, Steve Martin, and Rick Moranis, you know, ending that dinner scene, like, they were trusted by Frank Oz to come up with, a, with an ending for that, for that scene. So, mm-hmm. when you have talent like that, trust. Another one is um, make sure there's a balance. 
I know we talked about this on the um, the, Eli Roth, the Eli Roth film, uh, Death Wish, and um, the balance of, you know, what do you show, what it kind of justifies. Yeah. And so in this situation, we had a situation where the boyfriend was beating on Audrey and was being just like a jerk and things like that. And so he really ramped up how mean he was to her so that when... Uh, he gets killed or he he dies and he gets fed to the plant. We don't feel any kind of sympathy for him because mm-hmm. we saw what it's kind of justified. It balances out. And even furthermore, adding to that, uh, balancing as far as how much you show. So even though he, he is clearly abusing her because we see the results afterwards, you know, yeah. we see the black eye, the arm in the cast. Um, and it, we, we only see the silhouette of him oh, striking her. her yeah. Right. Likewise, when he's getting his just desserts and he's dead, we don't see. Even though they actually had, they had actually gotten like you know fake body parts of of Steve Martin's head and like one of his hands mm-hmm. to to like show Seymour feeding that to Audrey too, mm-hmm. but they thought it would be too much. Like it would look really gory. Yeah. Uh, and so instead, they had just like kind of wrapped it in paper. Uh, and right. even when he's chopping the body up, we just see you know Krellboy or yeah, Mister Mister Mamushnik seeing the silhouette of Seymour <sighs> chopping, which still works. It's still creepy and unsettling yeah. Uh, so yeah they struck an, a nice tone they, there's sure. really not much blood aside from what you see on Audrey's dress when she was, was being <laughs> chewed on when you were saying that I was like, it's not really that much blood I, 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 what chapter I was thinking about Stranger Things like when you were saying that I was like anyhow sorry because <laughs> I was watching one episode at the same time like I was going through the commentary I was like good yeah. sorry <laughs> but yeah but there's not actually as as you know kind of gorgeous is there's not a lot of Heck, almost like almost like almost like no blood really that we see in this film. With all the people that Audrey eats, aside from what yeah, Seymour squeezes out of his fingertips. Must be blood. Must be fresh. Yeah. Tui, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's not gory, over the top gory. Realism. So there's a um when what's the dentist's name? What's his name? Steve Martin, what's his Orin. Orin. Doctor, doctor, doctor. <laughs> when Seymour is pulling his corpse down the stairs, mm-hmm. like I was thinking to myself, like, man, how, how much does that weigh? Yeah, uh, I, I was. I caught myself like from a technical standpoint, I was like, man, I was thinking, I was like, that needs to be a little bit more heavier. I've all, even as a kid, I thought that. <laughs> I was like, Seymour's not that strong. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hey, they're singing, so why not? Of course, he he weighs fifty pounds. La, whatever. La 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 la. <laughs> Since we're singing, let's do that too. Why not? <laughs> but you know, did you hear uh, Frank said that he he regretted that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I regret not you know adding more weight in. It's like okay, at least you know he's aware. Hey, shout out to a listener, a listener out there, Corey Rashad Bowens. Um, he requested a movie, Never Die Alone, starring DMX, directed by Ernest Dickerson. So appreciate that. We'll do that next time, huh? Yes, we will. And if you have a film that you'd like to recommend for us to talk about and review and break down here on Filmmaker Commentary, number one, please make sure that it has commentary. Yes. Uh, But you can let us know at facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. You can also um, reach out to us through Instagram at Filmmaker Commentary. You can also listen to us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher Radio, and feel free to like and subscribe at any of those sources. 
If you want to reach out to Reginald Titus Jr., you can find him on Twitter at Reggie Titus and on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. That's J-R. You can also find me both at Twitter and Instagram simply at KCGSmith32. Until next time, peace. Respect. Respect.